This podcast is brought to you by Todd Rose, the author of a new book entitled The End of Average, How We Succeed in a World That Values Sameness. Please listen to podcast number 703, where Greg and Todd have a lively discussion about how our society has embraced standardization. Yet, people are individuals, and if you are going to inspire the best in people, and you want them to reach their human potential, you need to respect and allow them to embrace their individuality. Todd has connected a lot of research about our flawed systems and proves to the reader that there is a better way. Please listen to podcast number 703 with author Todd Rose about his new book entitled The End of Average. If you want to learn more about Todd, his new book, his talks, or his projects at Harvard, please visit www.toddrose.com. We hope you enjoy this interview with author Todd Rose about his new book, The End of Average. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Jason, as I do every time I come on one of these shows, and I know you've listened to a few of my podcasts, so you know, um, we actually thank the listeners. You know, without the people who've been following me for the last 14 and a half years on this show, I wouldn't have a show. And without all the publishers who provide great books and authors like yourself, we wouldn't have a show. And we just love the fact that we're tremendously supported. And today, and I do not want to mess up your last name, Jason. So tell me how to actually say it. Is it Baldato? So close. I would say Valadeo would work. Valadeo. Okay. So we have Jason Valadeo on, who's a medical doctor. And he has written a book called Exceptional Every Day. And uh, it is an empowering process to unlock your why and transform your life. And Jason, I will say not only is it exceptional every day, but this is an exceptional book. Um, Jason has lived what he's talked about. Um, and that's what's important. And I think what I want to do is give my listeners, Jason, just a tad bit. Um, he currently serves in the U.S. Navy as a family and sports medicine physician. Uh, from officer candidate school to life in the air and aircraft carriers in the U.S. flight officers during operations in Iraq and enduring freedom. Uh, his journey was filled with life-altering experiences, which he shares with us in the book. He's also allowed me to, allowed him to cross paths with people from all walks of life. In 2010, he was fortunate to pursue his initial dream of becoming a physician and embarking upon uh, that season of life at the Medical College of Wisconsin, where there he completed additional training as nutritional coach and what he calls Precision Nutrition Inc. to better serve future patients and clients with their health. And then upon graduating from medical school in 2014, he transferred to the Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton, uh, and he trained people there as well. And in 2017, he joined the faculty of the American Academy of Family Physicians, Chief Resident Leadership Development Program, where he found yet another path uh, forward as he became involved in teaching the newest groups of physician leaders. Um, he is passionate about personal growth. He's passionate about helping people reach their highest potential. And this book, Exceptional Every Day, is one of those books that if my listeners pick it up and actually go out and buy it and read it, you will find processes and procedures 
And by the way, he's got a wonderful website. And at that website, you can learn about the book and there's resources. And you can learn more about Jason there. And he calls this uh, thing we're going to be talking about the process, purpose, vision, and intentions. So Jason, um, you know, in reading your book, you frequently find that people like yourself who are successful and, and I, almost everything you've done, uh, somewhere along the line, there's been something that has usually agitated that success. And your father probably was one of those. <laughs> um, you know, do you believe that your relationship or lack thereof, and you can tell your story because I think this is going to set the background for the listeners, propelled you to succeed and prove um, that you could be something. I mean, you had a teacher that told you you weren't going to be anything. You had a dad that was kind of deadbeat. Um, you lived in your truck. Uh, you know, what else could have gone wrong, right? Yes, Greg. So so first, I just want to thank all the listeners for, for being on today. I think that this can touch so many lives. And when I was developing this and working with Greenleaf and trying to think about who our target audience was, and I thought about like the primary target, secondary, tertiary, and so forth. It, really, my goal was that it could touch people from 17, maybe even 16 or younger, all the way up until later life where people are still struggling to find their point of significance. And so I want to thank you for bringing me on. I, I, I feel blessed to have this opportunity and to try and spread this message and to see what I can do with what I've gone through in my life and the people that have crossed my path and to try and share those stories. And so kind of leaning into what you said, I think a big part of that was, yeah, growing up in a in a family that two parents that were immigrants that really didn't speak English very well, and they came from their own separate lives and weren't educated and didn't have a foundation of maybe even teaching the basics of what, you know, people should be reading books and learning and growing. There was none of that. And, and I don't say that just to kind of use that as my story, but the truth was there really wasn't. It was two parents that basically worked and didn't communicate and didn't really share values of character and those things. And so I don't know what that breaking point was for me, but I think that seeing all of that as a child and then going into school and sports, that those different moments really stuck. And when it was in high school, and I kind of chuckle at this now because some of my friends that picked up the book in the last week were like, I didn't even know this about you during high school. And we were in a small coastal town in Northern California called Fort Bragg, maybe 5,000 people, small high school. And so it was a very small town with most people being fishermen, loggers, really the, your blue collar area. And a lot of us looked at like, how are we going to get out of here? What are we going to do? And unfortunately, or fortunately, as I look at it, in high school, some struggles happened and I ended up living in my truck for 10 months and 10 days. And really that's where my process began. And I started writing every day. Yeah, I look at the yeah. Pacific Ocean, and, and, and that's really where it started. That was maybe the first point of adversity, and kind of like what you said, it's like, what are those moments in life that get us to that next step? Yeah, and we're going to talk about that process, and, yeah, and the reality sure. is, is that you had that epiphany to do that. You also, as I had mentioned just a minute ago, you had this high school teacher that told you you weren't going to amount to anything, um, and that you were throwing your life away, and you called this your making point. Um, and I think that's the first time I've actually heard of the epiphany moment as a making point. I liked that, actually. Um, what should our listeners who are listening right now take away um, from 
they're making points um, and or defining points as we often hear them as in life. So I think, you know, I'm glad you bring that up. The making point idea for me was that there was this, there was a struggle going on with me and I was looking to share as much as I could without telling everybody everything because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. And so I had shared this with one particular teacher and it was surprising to me because I had really good grades. I was captain of the varsity varsity basketball team. I was working a job and living in my truck without a lot of people knowing about it. And I remember mentioning this to the teacher saying, hey, I'm I'm living in my truck right now. And he said, you're throwing everything away. Instead of stepping back and looking at it as a mentor opportunity saying like, wait a minute, this kid is struggling. He's done so well and he wants to go to college. And this is what's happening. Instead of looking at me saying, you're the one throwing it away. I wasn't throwing anything away. It was part of the circumstance that I was in. And if anything, it propelled me to grow. And so with the listeners thinking about where they're at maybe in their life and at what point are they looking at making that transition or taking a step forward. And I think, especially with a new book coming out, me being a first-time author, this was another challenge in itself. But maybe this is even more resonating that when you bring up the idea of making point is that, hey, wait a minute, first-time author, this is the first time doing something, taking that next leap forward. And as Seth Godin, one of my mentors, says, he talks about this idea of you're going to have critics everywhere. And so people are always going to look at the negative side. Even people who you wouldn't think would be that way always find that little part that is like, well, you really shouldn't do this. Are you sure this is what you want to do? You have too much on your plate. And what I would say is if there's something you're so compelled about and that just drives you, it wakes you up at three in the morning, or it keeps you wanting to do more, like you're just like, you're so motivated to keep building, then take that and make that transition and, and really make it stick and think about what you need to do to get there. And so that that's kind of where I would I would make that idea of like, if there's something I want to get done that I, I just put my head down and say, okay, what are the resources I need to get there? I may not have them all at my disposal, but I want to make this happen. Well, and that's great advice. I mean, it, no matter how many times somebody might hear that, um, you know, sometimes it takes time for things to stick, you know, um, that that old Einstein thing, keep doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And, you know, I think that that's probably one of the better quotes that um, people should actually think about because it is the definition of insanity. You've got to actually do something different. Um, now, let's go back to this because out of this living out of the truck, which this guy said you were throwing your, your life away, you birthed this idea called the process. And as a result of leaving home and those long nights in the truck, that's where this thing started. Now, obviously, the book didn't get written for a while. <laughs> Um, but you did create what was called the process. Now, how can this process help everyone who's listening today? And what is the process? So, and what's funny about that is that I, I look back on that in 1996, 1997, when I wrote that in my journal and I wrote those two words, the process. And I, I put that journal away at my grandmother's house when I went off to college and it's funny now because in the last five or six years, this thing, the process has kind of gotten thrown around in a few different ways. There's an NBA basketball player that calls himself that. If you look at quotes of these leaders and coaches, people are using that in a lot of things. Even Nick Saban winning at Alabama, he's used this idea called the process. 
So it's a little different for everybody, and some people look at it as too much of a technical term, and I joke about that in, in the final chapters with one of my friends, Greg, same name as you, who's a Marine, a retired Marine, and he says, gosh, Jason, I hate that, the process. It just sounds so mechanical, and I said, but you don't know what it is yet. You're not listening, and so what I would share with, with our listeners especially and, and everyone out there who decides to pick up the book or maybe just check out the website and read a little bit more about it, the process is really where you your life itself and all the things that matter in your life. And so essentially it's almost, and what I looked at the book when I put it together was this idea of is what are the main priorities in my life that matter? And they might be a little bit different for every one of us, but the overall theme is really the same. And with chapter one, for instance, when I talk about it's got to be about you, it's not a conceited kind of like, oh, it's all about me, it's all about me, because that's not how I look at things and it's not who I am. But what I've learned as a naval officer, as a human being, as a physician, is that if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't take care of anyone else. And that's why I wanted the process to start with you as the individual, because that's where everything launches off from. And then I kind of looked at this whole idea, and I thought about my life and my 19 years in the Navy, and where is everything, to get, how does everything fit in, and how are you satisfied? And so I started thinking, well, what is this idea about your why? And Simon Sinek, who's kind of been the guy who put the book out there on finding your why and what about why and these ideas that he brings together, really made it sink in the last couple of years for me about do I really understand my why as a service member, as a doctor, am I able to fulfill that? And then I just kept building that process, looking back at my old notes from over 20 years ago and what I was thinking. And really what, when I was initially thinking about this 23 years ago, and sitting in the truck at night was this idea of like, how do you get to where you want to go? It involves a process. It's like Henry Ford in the assembly line. There's a process to how those first cars were built. And it's changed a lot over the last hundred years. But the idea is that it starts, you have to start with something. It's building a house, laying the foundation. It's, it's going to college and taking those initial classes. It's starting a new job and having to do all that entry-level things that you must do in the first couple of weeks to really get ready for what they want to launch you in. And I started putting those things together, and I started thinking about my own life and what really mattered, along with all the stories of people that I'd crossed paths with. And, and, and that's what I was developing was, okay, this is a journey. This life thing is all a journey. It's not just a destination. And we get so caught up in this thing that I call, and probably recall when you're looking at the book, Greg, this destination addiction. We're so worried about the end result that we forget about everything that happens along the way. And because I do a lot of work with professional teams, college teams, and athletes, I think about that a lot. They win a national championship, like we just did with the team I work with here at Baylor University. And then what do you think they're doing the next day? They might be celebrating for the first 24 hours, but people with a growth mindset, as you know, better than most of us, because you've been doing this for so long, you're already thinking about those next steps the next day. And it's not about that you just want to be successful than somebody else. It's what does that process mean to you? And now what do I need to do next to continue this growth? And so when I put the process together and I, I provide a map, and I'm going to be putting that on my website soon so that people that are interested can have a copy for themselves, but what I call the process map and kind of figuring out all your priorities and where they align and how you can get back to them and kind of restructure them. And one thing I'll leave too is, is a friend of mine from high school I haven't seen in 20 years sent me a text last night and what she had put on it was great. She said, Jason, I just read your chapter on your table and it made me realize I need to start 
telling some people at my table to go away. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a negative thing. It's that she realized that there were so many people there that were grabbing at her, maybe not being positive, and that weren't providing her with that growth that she needed. Right. And, and they occupy a lot of uh, space <laughs> in your mind, right? So, yes. you know, you have to stay focused to stay not just successful, but I think that it's so easy today for people to get distracted. And that distraction is a tough thing. Uh, if they can stay present in the moment, they can remember these good times. I, I love this quote from uh, Warren Buffett. He said, it's not necessary to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. Um, the reality is, is to get extraordinary results, as you know, because this is what you probably teach those teams and those working with those people is, you know, atomic habits, uh, tiny yeah. habits, simple Beautiful. little things. People say to me, hey, well, you're, you know, you're an overnight success. No, I've been doing this podcast show for 15 <laughs> years, 700 podcasts. You still have to wake up every morning and find a new way to make it better, right? Yes, sir. And so I just throw that out to people. Now, you mentioned in the first chapter that if the people reading your book are like you, meaning you, that their life has not been about them, but about the people and things that need us. Um, I thought this was a really good one. Um, Why is self-love and forgiveness so important on the path of personal growth in your estimation? Well, great. That's a great question because that is something, and I'm, I'm just being totally honest up front, is that that's something I've struggled with for a long time in my life. And a lot of it I look back is because I don't think I really had a good grasp of what growth and self-care and personal love was. It wasn't something that was taught in my house. It's never talked about. And it's probably something that's very commonly not talked about in many homes because it's not something that people are really used to. And this idea of emotional intelligence, which I think goes right into what you're saying, is not, it's, it may have been around for years, but it's not something people learn when they go to high school and college. Until these last 10, 20 years, it's now a big topic. And so for me, this idea, like you said, this personal love or taking care of yourself is that you have to have a relationship with yourself before you can ever have a really good relationship with anyone else. And that has to do with your spouse, your children, your friends, your colleagues. And, and the reason I say that is because we're looking so often to try and please people to what looks good on the outside and the way social media can be it's such a great avenue to connect with people that you love, but it can be so detrimental to your personal psyche and how you look at yourself. And I think, you know, one of the great things about this is that when you really appreciate who you are and if you can look at yourself and say, I have so much to give and I wish I would have met him before, but just in the last couple of days, I met Herschel Walker. He was a keynote speaker at a conference I went to this past week, and I just blogged about him yesterday about what happened when I met him. But he said something in his first sentence, and I think it goes so well with this idea of self-love and preservation, but then moving on to helping others. He said, we all take things out of society, but what are we giving back? And so I feel like when you take so much out of yourself and you don't work on yourself, you get so limited on what you can give back to people and society as a whole. And I just look at these mentors that I've had. I look at people that are what I think are doing it right or people that are successful and not overnight successes, like you said. I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm successful when people tell me like, oh, you've written a book now and you 
flew airplanes in the Navy and now you're a physician, but there's so much more that had to happen. And I still don't see that. And that's fine. It's a compliment. But the battle with cancer that I didn't even talk about in the book, because I wanted this book to be about other people, not about me. And so I briefly mentioned tidbits like that, you know, about living in a truck and about being on food stamps and about the cancer, but I don't really get into it because my idea is this book isn't about Jason. This isn't a biography or an autobiography. This is about helping people develop their process. And my anecdotes, my stories of me or people that I've met along the way or that I've interviewed that I talk about in the book, that's the idea is that they all have this part of them that understands that you have to be loving yourself first. And, and I've had struggles with that my entire life. And well, you know, you know, self-nurturing and care, which is what you're referring to, um, can be a challenge because the ego is saying you're not yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, and if you grow up in an environment and you can't figure out that you are enough and come to the conclusion to let go and surrender to the fact that you are enough, that doesn't mean you don't have goals. Um, yeah. Somewhere along the lines here, I always love giving these little quotes. So if you don't mind. I'm going to give a quote that goes right along with what Jason's speaking about. And, and this is from Thich Nhat Hanh. And he says, we fear that this moment will end, that we won't get what we need, that we will lose what we love, or that we will not be safe. Often our biggest fear is the knowledge that one day our bodies will cease functioning. So even when we are surrounded by all the conditions for happiness, our joy is not complete. Um, the reality is, is that we're all looking to, we need to self-nurture ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves. You're a great example of that. And for people to actually self-nurture and care, I see so many people abuse themselves. Okay. I don't know if they always do it intentionally, Jason, but if you look at the amount of opioid addiction and thing this, oh. this country's going through, it's crazy. But people have abused themselves in different ways. And, and um, I'll have a little story that I'll tell, but I want to move on to this citing these stories about Henry Ford, President Obama, about perseverance and something that you call the priority of self. What is the priority of self? And what do our listeners need to know about putting themselves first that you were saying, hey, Henry Ford did, uh, Obama did, um, to get to where they are? So I think that is where most people have the challenge because I've had people already in the last couple of weeks since the book published ask me that question almost as a critique, but they're just looking for more. And so it's great that you brought that up today because literally I've been getting emails, posts on my website, text messages from people that have my phone number. And, and they've said the same thing. Like, you know, you talked about Barack Obama, for instance, or you brought up Oprah Winfrey and these different people. And so when I looked at that, the priority of self and why I even made it number one was that I really feel, especially looking at my career in the last nine years when I transitioned from flying to becoming a physician, I saw patients walking through my doors in my clinic or people that just needed help or mentoring. And I, I said, wow, this person's really struggling because they're doing all these other things and not taking care of themselves. Parents, uh, spouses, children who are trying to please their parents and and do things for them. And so I started thinking like, what about these people in history that did so much that changed our culture? Henry Ford, you brought him up first. And so the idea that he was so persistent, I'm looking at his childhood when everyone else was outside trying to work on the farm and he didn't want to do that manual labor. 
and yes, you could look at that and say, well, he's kind of being lazy and his siblings were doing all the work, but he had this intuition in him that he wanted to create something. And he was, he was so innovative in, in the research I've done on him. And so he'd be in the house and he'd be doing other things. And, and you look at what it led to and how it changed society, even with any mistakes he made, because people always fall and there's, there's going to be issues, but maybe he didn't please everyone, but he still did so much to make an impact. And then I looked at someone like Oprah Winfrey, who has come from her struggles and what she's tried to do, especially as an African-American woman, which in the last 40, 50 years, that's not something that everyone is used to with someone with her power that has done so much to influence so many people. And again, it may not be perfect. I've had critics who said, like, why would you talk about her in your book or Tiger Woods and, and Barack Obama? And I, I didn't use them because they're African-American. I use them because of who they are as individuals and their story and that they made it a priority to focus on themselves so that they could do more for everyone else. And, and that's really what I try to get to. And, you know, when you get to the end of the book and you think about chapter 10 or something bigger than you, it's because that's where all these people are going is that all of us know that at the end of the day, when we, when we take our last breath, it doesn't matter what car we drive. It doesn't matter how much money is left in the bank. It doesn't matter what house we live in. It matters what did we do for other people to make a difference in their lives or society? And the only way to do that, Greg, as you know, as well as anyone, is that you have to take care of you. And really quickly, I'll throw this in. And what I, what I mean, because I want to make sure I get to the heart of your question, is for me, for example, getting up, exercising every morning, whether it's 4 o'clock, 4.35, depending on the day, that sets my tone for the rest of the day. Because I know that if I make myself a priority before my wife is up, before my kids are up, before the clinic opens up, before the Navy starts asking me to do this or that, I know that I'm going to be on my best game. And I want to give every patient that walks in or every one of those service members that's working under me or working with me or those athletes that I'm taking care of, I want to give them the best Jason. And the only way to do that is to make myself a priority. It's not about me thinking, I'm better than someone else. It's that I want to give them exactly what they came for. I don't want a patient to walk in the door and that I only give them half Jason for the day when I should be listening to what their issues are, whether it's high blood pressure, diabetes, mental health issues, something's going on at home, they've got addiction. I want to be able to give them exactly what they came to get. And the only way all of us can do that is if we make ourselves a priority. Very well said, Jason, and a, and a quick side story to that, because I know you see patients and so you see this all the time, but I do consulting to a company called 24 Life Mayo Clinic. Everybody knows Mayo Clinic. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been doing that for a while now. And we, I was doing a talk in San Francisco just uh, two days ago. And uh, I always, like you, I would assume, you thank everybody who serves you, right? There. Whether it's a server, whatever, not only do I thank them, I usually give them my card and I say, contact me. I usually give them a copy of the book. Um, but here's the point of the story. So this young man, Hispanic, a little overweight, he says, well, what do you guys do? Right? So he started asking us questions because I was asking him a lot of questions. And I said, well, we're a wellness company and we help uh, employees get better. And we do it through this application and these great videos. He says, oh, I could have used you. And he rips his shirt open. He's got a button-down shirt. And I see this scar all the way down his chest. And he said, I had quadruple bypass. Now, this guy's 32 years old. Okay. And what a compelling story when you talk about taking care of yourself. And he says, you know, the only reason I'm alive is my girlfriend told me to come in because I was having some chest pain. 
Now, this is a very young man, right? And obviously things along the way in his life, whether it was hereditary or not, it's not all hereditary. It's about taking care of yourself. And you as a physician know better than anybody, but what a compelling story. Now, this leads me at the end of the first chapter, you have a list of questions. So let's get to this process checklist. And you have places where people can write in the book, where they can reflect. Give our listeners a few of these questions that you want them to start considering on this process checklist, because that's where this all starts. You got to have a checklist. It's like a guy in the Navy checking off his <laughs> airplane that he comes into. You're not going to just take that thing up in the air unless you run through the checklist, right? <laughs> yes, sir. I'm, uh, and that's that's one thing <clears throat> about me and, and people that know me know that. And I'm like, wow, this guy's got a little journal for everything. He's keeping track of everything. He's got a checklist. And, and I think it's twofold. And, and kind of why I brought that up, and, and it's great that in Chapter 1 we start with it right away, is that in my life, and it, it, this could apply to a lot of lives, but in my life as a physician, as an aviator, checklists mean everything. And that's patient safety. A patient coming in to get to go to the operating room, we have a checklist so that we don't do, for number one, operate on the wrong body part. Number two, make sure we have the right patient. Number three, they get the right medications. And it's just a simple checklist that everybody knows their duties and we're marking off as we go. Same thing with flying. We have to make sure that our landing gear is ready to go. We've got the fuel on board, that all electronics work. So checklists have been a big part of my life for a long time. And so I knew that in the way I wanted to set this book up, that if I could give people a checklist, in this case, questions at the end of every chapter, so they could be really involved with it. And I knew going into this, there's going to be people who pick up the book and they may not, they may not actually write the questions down. <clears throat> so I wanted to challenge them to think like, hey, this is really important. If I write it down, maybe I'll do this. Or maybe I'll actually make some changes in my life. And that was the initial idea of, of creating that. And, and one of a great author who's also a profound physician across the world now, his name's Atul Gawande, and he wrote a book called Checklist Manifesto a few years ago. Very familiar people, with it. <laughs> Very uh, familiar with his book. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. And yeah. And it's, it's pretty remarkable, but it, he took a lot of these ideas from the aviation industry. And, and so then I move into being a physician, and it all comes together for me. But for instance, like in Chapter 1, and, and without even looking at my book right now, it's, it's almost like it's been so ingrained because those questions meant so much to me. But I remember that one of my questions in Chapter 1 at the end of it was, what can you do today, or what can you do to make yourself a priority? Mm -hmm. And for instance, it's like, for me, when I think about that, it's learning how to say no. I'm not a great delegator. People that are typically in these positions where you've got to lead other people and you want things done right, or what you could call a type A personality, you have a hard time letting other people do some of the work because right. you're worried it's not going to get done right. right. And so I, for me, when I answered that question myself as I wrote the book, I had to think like, well, I've got to start making sure I have the right people in place to take on these other tasks so that I can make myself a priority. Because if I don't, then I'm not going to spend any time with my kids when I get home. My wife and I are going to be more of these people that are living together, trying to raise our children, than actually being a husband and wife that care for one another. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so that was, you know, that really made me think, like, how could I get a reader to really engage with that? So I wanted the reader to be able to reflect after reading 15, 20 pages for the chapter on what they could do today. Now, if they, go to your, to, if they go to your yeah. website, can they get some of those off the resources section? Yeah, or... so we are, yeah, we are putting those on there now. I'm working with Greenleaf, and we're okay. actually breaking up some, some PDFs that they're actually going to be able to. So if they sign up for my newsletter, 
then they can actually download those documents. I'm going to have. We'll put a link to that. We'll we'll put a link to this checklist or whatever Jason has for the listeners, because I think, look, anybody who picks up a book, wherever it is, whether they read the whole thing or not, if you pull one gem from it, and maybe it's just the checklist gem, but we're going to cover a few more things that I think will be gems for you as well. But that checklist gem, I think, could be a good one because it gives people a starting point, Jason. Um, And, you know, one of the things that you did is you talked about Simon Sinek and Simon had been on my show and he's had 20,000 downloads of his (laughs) podcast from my show. And that goes back a ways ago when he was talking about the why. And you'd mentioned the why before. Um, How would you help the listeners who are out there today listening to you and I find their why? and make it part of their daily quest? Uh, Great question. And so I think when I talk to people, and this comes up a lot in the coaching that I do, I just had a couple clients a couple days ago that I do some personal growth coaching for. And when I sit with them and I ask, when they ask me that question, like, well, I don't get it. You seem to have your why. Like you went in the Navy. You knew you wanted to be a doctor when you were nine years old. These different things that they tell me about me. And I, so the first thing I ask them and and I asked them, well, you're sitting here right now looking at me, having me work as your personal growth coach. I said, what things in life get you so fired up and so excited? Or what things in life do you feel like when you're doing them, you just don't have any anxiety? You let yourself kind of go. And it really gets them thinking because it's hard at first. A lot of people that I work with just kind of sit there and it's almost like they're staring off into the abyss for a moment because they're like, wait a minute, I haven't had that for so long. I lost touch with what really puts that fire in my belly, as Teddy Roosevelt would say. <clears throat> but, and I asked them, tell me three or four things right now that really excite you. And I get them thinking, and this is how I come up with a way to help them develop their why. And then I also have them break that up. So when they tell me three or four things, I then say, well, which one of those right now seems so important to you? And, and that gets to be a struggle too. It's like, well, I really like this. I really like this. But what is it? What is that thing that, kind of drives you. And and I really get them to stick to it. And I think one of the questions I had in chapter two was write your one thing down. What is that one thing that you might wake up two o'clock in the morning and it really gets you going like where you can't go back to sleep. And so when I have them take that and I kind of have them build a statement around, I have them write it out. So it's not just a book. This is just what people I've been coaching over the last couple of years, have them write it out and we start to develop that why. Because we can struggle and then people go like, well, you know, but I had this you don't have to just have one why. You can put it together. You can build that why into what your passion is. And then hopefully, as you'll see in the book, talk about how do you create your passion and your work so that they come together to fulfill you. And, and But the why really is like what's driving you to get up out of bed every day. There's got to be something. And for a lot of people, I'll give you this one story, Greg, because it made me really think about it, was when people are trying to figure out what their purpose is or their function, I thought about this janitor that I'm at. My father was a janitor uh, when I was growing up as a kid, didn't make very much money at all. And, but he always told me, he said, do whatever you're doing, do it to the best of your ability. And so I thought about this janitor that I met at the hospital recently who made me think of like my dad. And I said to him, you know, is this fulfilling for you? Because he said something like, oh, well, you're a doctor and you're this, you're in the Navy. And he was very interested in me. And so I, and I felt like I was interested in him because he had a smile on his face every day. And he said, Doc, I want to make sure the bathrooms and the room are perfectly clean so that every patient that comes in here 
doesn't get more sick. And that guy had figured out his why. 55 years old, not making very much money, but smiling every single day and interacting with the patients and interacting with the doctors. And and it just made me think like, wow, he's got it down. He's He knows what his why is. His why is he's fulfilling it and he's happy about it. Because so, so many of us are just reaching for the stars, trying to be successful in these things or trying to have as many likes on social media as we can get. And we lose sight of what our why is. And, and I wanted to share that because it, it had an impact on me just last week uh, when it was sticking there going like, wait, he's going to do the best he can in this. And that's what we've all got to come after because the why will allow us to do that. Yeah, and it is those, um, how you want to call them? Chance encounters, but they're really not chance. They're really predefined encounters that actually help you make your story and help make you a better person and help make him a better person. It's that whole um, interconnectedness of all people on the planet, um, which actually brings us to that compassion point. Um, So each of you had compassion for one another, which is really the key because that's where you learn. You learn from that. Um, and I love your quote on your website, claim the day tomorrow is hardly guaranteed. Um, and that, and that brings me to this question. Um, you know, you tell an exceptional story about a young man named Jake in the book, certainly a story of triumph over tragedy. Um, can you tell this story and what significance it has to do with what you refer to as joining you at the table? and your core and heart, because that's really where this led to in the book for me. Yes, sir. So, man, you brought up that point about whether it's a chance encounter or actually a predefined encounter, which is how I look at it. And I've been pretty connected with the UC Berkeley football team, um, their, some of their coaching staff, their athletic department for years now, ever since I was teaching there, uh, when the Navy sent me there to teach Naval ROTC back in 2007. And, and that was a defining point for me and just taking that step forward. And I never would have thought that when I left in 2010 to go to medical school, that in 2017, so 10 years later from the time I first showed up at UC Berkeley, that I would meet this kid named Jake. And Jake and I met because thanks to the Navy, I got to go spend five and a half, six weeks up at UC Berkeley to do this sports medicine rotation prior to finishing all my residency training. And my buddy Andrew, who's been athletic director there for a while, has been so connected with the football program and has allowed me to come in and and really try to make a difference with these guys. So I had spoken to the team that previous August um, during their fall camp, getting ready for their season. And it was a a motivational type talk. And so then you see time kind of goes on. I'm back up there and I meet this kid, Jake, and I hear about his story just a little bit from a few of the coaching staff. And I don't hear much. I just hear that Jake lost his parents when he was a kid. And, you know, as you know, someone tells one story, it goes to the next person. The story gets changed a little bit here and there as it goes on. It's never the exact same thing. So then I took it upon myself to reach out. And what I had done, and a lot of people thought I was crazy and they saw me doing this, I decided one day before one football game, I was just going to pick 12 random players on the team that had crossed my path during practice and all those. And I wrote them a personal letter and I taped it to their locker before the football game. Now, these are Division I college football players, big, rough, and tough guys, and I'm this guy who's kind of an outsider but has like an inner circle of sorts. And so I, make, I put these letters up, and Jake gets my letter before his game. 
And he actually, I put my phone number on my letter as well in case they wanted to reach out to me. Like you said, you meet someone, you give them your book or you talk to them, give them your card. Well, I'd written my phone number, and this is before the game. Now we're looking 30 minutes before the game against Washington State, and it's a big game, and there's been a lot of stuff going up, going on up there in, in Northern California for this game. And, and I get this text back that says, Jason, this is Jake. Thank you for your letter. It brought tears to my eyes. This is a big college football player just minutes before, and that's not what I want. I didn't want him to cry because I wanted to be ready for the game. But to know that that 30 seconds that I put into writing that card to him could make such a difference. And, and it made me think about it, kid, and I said, hey, and then he reached back out to me and wanted to meet with me personally. And so a few weeks later, we had another game, and we actually found an hour the night before the game to sit and talk, and he told me his whole story. And I knew that I could have used so many different stories that have come up in my life over the last 20 years or so to put in the book. But something about Jake's story, and, and you, got, you brought this up, Greg, about the table, and that's, that's so, so impactful to me is that looking at who's at your table. And I thought about this kid, Jake, and I said, wow, he came from these two parents that had suffered with addiction and he came out of that and all the trials and tribulations between. I mean, I could have written many more pages, but because it's a book and we can only fit so many, I only wrote a couple pages about Jake. But that story itself about the table and why I put it in that chapter with Jake's story was that Jake was so alone for so long that we get so caught up and that we have to have this perfect relationship with all these people and that I have to have the white picket fence or I've got to have these people at my table. And Jake was at his own table for a while. He was taking care of his dad when he got sick, his grandmother, his mom was out of his life, his parents ended up passing away. And yet this kid still did so well in high school. And then he moved on and went to college. And now he's this grown man that I'm very connected with. But this idea that you, your table is going to fluctuate right? And so you've got to think like, what matters at that table? Because there's a quote that I heard recently, and I can't remember the name of the person, but life is all about relationships. That without relationships, we really don't have anything else. Is We're not all on islands by ourselves. And so there's going to be people that come and go at our tables, and they're going to, and you brought this up, Greg, about this idea of the core and the heart. And for me, that that's where the table leads. So once you find yourself, and you develop your why, and you think about what your purpose is, and then you start to really think about, well, who's sitting there every day that I have a direct impact on? You have your, your tight-knit table, the one in your house, but what about everybody else? <clears throat> and so I started thinking like that, that table defines who you really are. And I know you've heard this and, and thousands of your readers and followers and subscribers have heard this, is that you can just pick, tell me the five closest people in your life, and I can tell you who you are as a person. And that are your five closest friends. It, it just, it defines you so much. It is, you know, the table and the core and heart are so important to this book. And it led me to the reflect uh, something that I'm sure you, you chose this for a very important reason. And it's a poem you put in called the guy in the uh. glass. <laughs> and it says the last paragraph, I'm just going to state this for the listeners and we're going to wrap this up. You can fool the, the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on your back as you pass. But your final reward will be the heartaches and tears if you've cheated the guy in the glass. That is really pretty uh, poignant uh, for my listeners. Uh, you know, the reality is, uh, what are you doing about the guy that's in the glass uh, every day that you look at it? And Jason's book, 
helps you become the best guy or girl looking at yourself in the glass uh, by empowering you through this process to unlock your why, transform your life, and this book will certainly make you exceptional every day. Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. I think my listeners will get a lot from this. For those of you who uh, listen to or go to the blog, you're going to go to www.jasonvaladao.com. That's where you can learn more. There's some downloads, as he said. He's going to be putting more resources up at the website as well. Um, this There will be a link to this book uh, going to Amazon, which we always do, where you can pick up the book. It's a hardback. Does it come in paperback as well? So not currently. So it's hardback, and then Kindle, Kindle is the other edition we have right now. Okay. So just hardback edition. Um, are you offering uh, our listeners any kind of bundled or special uh, situation here, or do we just want to let them go get the book at Amazon? No. So there's actually a couple of good things going on right now. If they go to goodreads.com, mm-hmm. we actually are doing several uh, hundred ebook giveaways. We've done two so far. The, the third one started today. They last for seven days each. Okay. And uh, working with Greenleaf on that, we've got four more of those that are going to be going on over the next several weeks, so the next six weeks or so, uh, based on the way the timing is. But if they go to goodreads.com and they look up the book, they can actually enter one of the giveaways. And we've given out 200 uh, Kindles so far over the last two weeks since the book hit publication. And we've had about 300 people sign up for each giveaway so far. So we're getting a lot of attention with that. And I think it's a great way. My idea when I did this was, and I've been spreading that on Facebook and on the website because I want to give this away. I want this message to spread. So So what we'll do is we'll put a link uh, for all of you who are still listening. Great. If if you're not, you obviously don't know when I'm going to stay here, but (laughs) we will put it in the blog and that'll be where we'll do it. Jason, a pleasure having you on the show. The book is Exceptional Every Day an empowering process to unlock your way and transform your life. We'll put all the links for everyone. Uh, Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing this very, very compelling message um, that you can't get enough of. It's, It's the way to transform your life. Pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Truly grateful for the day. This podcast is brought to you by Jess Lederman, the author of a new best-selling novel entitled Heart Set Free. Please listen to podcast number 709, where, in Greg's interview with Jess, they discuss his transformation from being an atheist to surrendering his life to Christ, and how he now writes stories that reveal truths that change lives. Truths of the heart. Heart Set Free is an epic work of historical fiction that begins in the Alaska Territory in 1925, as a boy and his mother go in search of a man who abandoned them for a beautiful woman, and continues into present day. It's a riveting tale of men and women who journey from the darkness of doubt to triumphant faith, and from the ache of loneliness to everlasting love. Please listen to podcast number 709 with author Jess Lederman as we explore the wonders that come from faith in the grace and power of God's loving heart. Thanks for listening.